0: hard work, gun-toting cats atop flame-nostriled unicorns. This is Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison, Wisconsin. Come along and hang out with the guys behind the Fantasy Factory curtain. Be exposed to those backroom, unfiltered meetings where the beer geekery is on point and beer trends are dissected. Welcome to the Carbon 4 Podcast, an unhinged brewery tour You've got Ryan and Zach Koga and Joe Waltz here today, and I'm your producer, Jonathan Eckleberg. And today, we're going to get some updates on how Hopalicious sales are doing, what some of the you know upcoming beer trends might be, or what, what we think that they might be. And Carbon4 has now had the Ale Asylum brands for a little bit, and, and Hopalicious has been out in the market. So we're talking about just how that may have impacted or not impacted the regular carbon four sales and,
1: and why it's important to stop into your local tap room. Yeah. Sales sales for Hopalicious have been, have been good. Um, It takes time to, to kind of ramp, ramp up um, the distribution, the points of distribution, get shelf space back. Um, rebuild some confidence in the sales staff, you know, through our wholesaler and through the retailers. They they went through um, a two-year period where from what the, the feedback we're getting is they just felt really, they felt like they were in the dark. They felt a little betrayed and there just wasn't a lot of information coming out because it's probably hard to put any out when when they're just trying to get through it. So I think we're undoing some of that, trying to reinstill confidence in, in the fact that it'll keep coming, that it'll stay in stock. I think overwhelmingly that that's that whole message and that that rebuild is is going well. I'm just peeking at the live sales numbers. We we had the big kind of ramp out week 1 put out a bunch of cases and then um in the weeks since it's it's kind of stabilizing and and trying to meet meet the velocity on the shelf uh instead of because we we've told everyone we don't want to just stack it up. You know, we want to make sure it, Stays fresh and sells through. Or Joe, kill someone. Yeah, Joe. <laughs>
2: you know, I've I've heard that there's still hopolicious, like made at Ale Asylum, still on the shelves. And yeah, it'd be cool to clear oh, there that. There is. Out. Yeah,
1: there is. There's a whole bunch of stuff now. I've gotten a <laughs> lot of text messages. Yeah, with like old Ambergaden, Unshadowed, etc. Like, like my buddy up in Eau Claire took a picture from a shelf up there that. It's it's probably two year old beer, and I'm like, great. Now we're gonna have to like take credit <laughs> yeah. for that. Um, we're trying to avoid that. It's it's impossible to totally avoid avoid. But yeah, I think sales have been have been good. I mean, people seem to be getting it back into their routine, and um, it's going to be on the broad stand at at the Union, the Memorial Union, opened last week. My favorite place on earth. So we have Fantasy Factory and Hopolis just there. Um. And we're working on the next beers. We're going to do Ambergadden next. That'll be the other flagship beer that we have year-round with Hopalicious. And then we're going to do Unshadowed as the first seasonal on the malty side. And I think we're going to do Plush Crush as the first IPA seasonal on the hobby side. So we're still still going to f- bring, f- bring f- out I a sprinkle of Bedlam first? You know, we talked about doing Bedlam later in the year just cuz the style that it seemed to make more sense in the colder months than the warmer months. So we thought maybe we should do plush crush um just cuz of the time of year being like June that we could get it out in. But at Bedlam was the overwhelming winner in the in the polling about beers. So we definitely want to make it this year.
2: Yeah, but, I like but, I like the idea of doing Bedlam in the fall cuz it's starting to get a little bit heavier and it's also a time when our sales are probably starting to drop so you know get the the gunslinger out there and fall and (laughs) keep it going Mm -hmm. you know and then bring out jackson in the winter
1: (laughs) jackson baby (laughs) yeah we've talked we talked about unshadowed octillion and madtown nut brown have been seems like the first three multi or like kind of multi-side beers we might want to rotate and plush crush velveteen habit bedlam satisfaction jackson kind of be they're rising to the top so far on the on that hoppier side so we're still figuring out like which price point is a 12 ounce or 16 ounce cans with the like with the ipas in particular so there's there's more to figure out but those are the that's like the list of probably the first whatever
2: jackson and slim cans jack <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Oh boy. <laughs> I said it was like
3: eleven point two ounce cans or three ounce <laughs> cans or
2: whatever.
3: Joe, what makes Octillion so good?
2: Uh the fact that when we came up with a recipe at Ailis Island, we really tried to go more German style, you know, like not I mean, I guess I wouldn't call it a fest beer necessarily. It's kind of in between a Merzen and a Fest beer. Um we wanted it to have like the rich character, but we didn't want it to have like Wisconsin Oktoberfest character which is like 10% crystal malt. I say over the caramel and sweet. Yeah, and we just wanted to get that out of there.
3: Got to get like the bready toasty part. Yep. Yeah, like awesome. I like really good German lagers sometimes like especially when we're down in Denver for the CBC and we had uh, a <clears throat> what was that place called Prost?
2: Oh, that place is awesome. No, Prost is in Denver. Oh, pro Yeah. Yeah, I went down a Prost. Oh,
1: the second place we went to was beer stock.
2: We took the that
3: Scoot Scoots to? Yeah. The lime well, one with, uh, with Will? We
1: scooted to Prost first for the pro uh, yeah. profile
3: I thought I was going to wipe out that night for sure. Oh, I thought I was like, dude, I'm going to end up with road rash for sure. <laughs> I, just feel, I can feel it coming. Um, but like sometimes you get those really awesome German lagers, and there's almost like a, f- like a grape flavor, like a Alexander the Grape. Mm-hmm. Type of candies yeah. and that like really like pilsner malt. I
2: don't know what it is. Yeah, it's almost a little bit of Concord. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what drives that flavor, but I feel like the best example of that flavor in a beer is is Kit Kolsch by New Glarus because it is is prominent and it and it works really well in the beer.
3: So I'm so. not crazy. It is there. Yeah, it is a little is bit there. of Concord grape. Yep. Cool. All right. I'm not crazy. After well, that's not the definitive proof. Yeah. Right. That's neither here nor there.
2: No, no, it's definitely like it's definitely a thing. And, and with with Octillion, we we kind of the first time we brewed it, we didn't use any kind of a caramel malt. So what the beer ended up becoming is a little bit of a compromise because the beer was kind of a a dark golden, really light amber color. Mm-hmm. And we got some pushback on that. We got some. This is not an Oktoberfest, so we kind of rolled our eyes and went fine, <laughs> and added like i don't know if i'd have to look at the numbers but a pretty small amount of caramunic of dark caramunic just to get the color there Mm -hmm. you know without adding roasty notes
3: i can't wait till we make it i'm pumped yeah i like as the weeks go by i remember just seeing this to zach last week i was just reflecting on like as we're settling into like owning the brands bringing them back talking about them, discussing them more i'm kind of turning that corner to feeling like um I do we were, we were getting a deal done before and we were talking about it and like, hey, we're going to have to steward this. We're going to have to whatever, you know, and now it kind of feels like actually turning the corner of like actually owning the brand or being the standard bearer for it, being the the promoter of it and and really thinking about, hey, what makes this special? How do we own it? Like, what am I going to like? What are those little things to be proud of here? And I know like Octillion, that's one of those things that I think this is such a fantastic beer to be brewing and adding to our portfolio and being able to say, yes, we make this.
2: You know, I was I was <clears throat> thinking about this the other day. I caught myself because it was last Friday. You were gone with shoulder surgery, and maybe it was Thursday night. You sent me a message that was like, "Can you put the the, the unshadowed recipe together?" Um, and so I started doing it, and I caught myself making changes because I was like, "Oh, I've learned things about making cafes, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that." And I had to stop myself. I was like, "Wait, this isn't just like..." A half we're making and and the reason I went down that road is because that's I did that with Unshadowed when I was at ale asylum sure i I you know was was playing these games from time to time, being like, how do we make this the best half we could make it? Mm-hmm. But now I feel like we owe it to the brands to to keep it a snapshot in time and not do that. You know, if we ever want to make an, another half down there and, and we kind of are we got Dan's Dunkelweizen, we got dankel um and we've got we've got aj another one of our bartenders doing a, a smoked cafe that we're going to brew next week you know those are really going to be the vehicles for for playing with that stuff but unshadowed we're like no we gotta we gotta preserve unshadowed is what it was sure so i walked all those changes back i was like nope can't do it <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's cool yeah i was doing and, like a late night uh plan session i was trying to get all the stuff crammed in because i got the call halfway through the day i was like hey you need to report at like five in the morning for your surgery i was like I'm in trouble. <laughs> I make sure all these things are lined up. Yeah. I'll and so kind of
2: bringing that, bringing that back to Octillion. I mean, it's, it's kind of fitting into this bigger picture where we've been doing a handful of different loggers. You know, we are doing some for ourselves, doing some for, for some different people. And so now we have all these different fermentation regimes going on. And so doing Octillion is going to be another one. And it's, it's sort of a, I don't know what you'd call it. Almost a thread, the needle between, between tradition and, and, you know, something else, but, um, it's a pretty simple fermentation. I, I believe it's either just like 50 or 52 degrees all the way until it passes diacetyl. So we're not doing the rise. Just single stage all the way. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we were doing a two part step down, which is something that we, that I learned kind of secondhand because David Oldenburg who used to be the, the brewmaster at Tuttle um, and, and still was at the time, we had gone to Hofbrauhaus and in, in just outside Chicago for a meeting and their lagers were just spectacular. And David was like, yeah, I got a chance to talk to the brewer and this is what he did for fermentation. So he kind of incorporated his, it was like a two stage um, step down, you know, instead of a gradual ramp or a hard crash. So yeah, just adding another wrinkle to our, our lager fermentations here. It's going to be cool. Creates diversity among all the different offerings.
3: It's going to be delicious. What about mash? Is it set single, seven fusion or?
2: Uh, it's a single, yeah, because Ale Asylum's equipment, you know, especially at the new place with the the uh, mash mixer, but without heat, um, and then the lauderton, it was very difficult to do any kind of step. Um, you know, we got our, our system here where you have the pedals, you can, you can do a step infusion kind of like they do at working draft to, to really good effect. But if you tried to do that at Ailes Highland, you just get stratified layers of hot and cool. So at their, at their newer facility, So yeah, it was just a single infusion and, and like most of the beers that I had a hand in were, were mashed for dryness as much as possible. <laughs>
1: nice. And well, that cover art has like,
2: like an octopus or something like that on there.
1: Yeah, it's like an octopus woman. Octillion. Yeah. I think Lacey. Octopi- designed. Remember Lacey? Yeah. GM at Midtown. She she designed that label. Oh, really? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, I I like that. We cam. already laid it out on the... Can- Wait, we did Ambergeddon and Unshadowed. I don't... Well, those are the only two I saw. saw. You might be yeah. ahead of me
3: on those ones. Yeah, we saw some... I'll show you too, John, that we re- relaying out the Hopalicious and the Unshadowed and the Ambergeddon for for can printing here. It looks really good around like not totally reinventing the wheel on anything here. Not, um, it's just kind of one or two little design aspects that we found with our own brands that helped to kind of clean it up, give a continuity. Like for instance, like we always say on a cans, like a viewing window, right? So you don't, you kind of want to repeat the main image if possible, because that can, then you at least get, a higher percentage of like the the image you're trying to like get to people they'll be able to see it versus the back of a can or something you know so the way things laid out i think look really good cool has um the the, the sale of hopalicious
0: have you seen a a great impact in like the sales of fantasy factory or some of the other carbon four beers
1: uh no we we've I think we've seen fantasy factory move right along and, and Midwesty in particular, those are our top two um, fantasy Factory's up uh, about 10% year to date. So it, it's marching along and Midwesty's up, I think about 15% year to date. So that that's happened with um being all new. And, and that was the goal. I mean, we really needed, we really needed some more, some more volume to, to put out there. I mean, the, there's, there's no way to dress it up. Like we were, we were slower than we wanted to be, and we still sell a lot of Fantasy Factory. So it's not like it went way down. But but there's there's a there's an amount of kegs that just still haven't come back from pre pre pandemic numbers. Um, the cases have kind of hung in there, but they were soft. and they, they seem like they're picking up some ground this year, uh, and then all of our our seasonal beer volume used to be much more substantial. And a lot of that's just, it's just smaller batches. So we were left with more room and very happy to plug in hopalicious and, and some of the other contract work we're doing.
3: And costs go up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The old sing song.
0: Is there, there any update to where, um, where hopalicious as well as the, all of your carbon four brands are available in distribution?
1: Um, Hop alicious <clears throat> is at a a good chunk of the independent bottle shops around Madison. Um, getting a little bit more out there in Milwaukee. It's in all the Woodmans that I'm that I'm aware of. We're working on trying to sneak it into a few places in the Quick Trip sets. Uh, unfortunately, the the chain, you know, the chains Quick Trip. Um, pick and save festival. Well, festival brought it in, in the Madison area. We did a promotion in April. Kirby did us a huge solid there, the buyer at festival, helping us get it into his stores and in, in the Madison area. But, but what I was saying is unfortunately a lot of the big groups of stores, the chains had just done their spring resets, you know, that they'd already done the planning in the fall and they were going live on their spring <coughs> resets. Like now, you know, March, April, May. And so, we we kind of missed that window, and and we can sneak it in a few places where we have you know people that are helping us, Kirby at festival. But it's going to be fall and next spring before we get it in more of them. So we have we just kind of have that year cycle. But our, our the biggest chunk of our business has always been the the whole aggregation of independent stores, and a lot of those have them in there. Um, I. I'm scared to say any names because I'll, I'll start <laughs> accidentally picking favorites, but sure. a, a lot of good stores around the Madison area in particular.
3: Which beer were you hoping we bring back from the portfolio?
1: Oh,
0: boy. I, I re- really liked Octillion and Hopalicious were kind of my two go-tos from, uh, from Allen Asylum.
3: We had the engineer, David R. Jones, professional engineer, came back to talk about the, the brew house and stuff last week and he was saying how much he loved Hopalicious so mm-hmm. that was his big thing he actually like gave me a hug about it and I thought oh cool it's just gonna be a lot of these unsung stories coming through I'm really happy about it I rarely like overly hoppy beers
0: but um and well Hopalicious has a lot of that hoppy flavor it, it it's not like it doesn't smack you in the face mm-hmm. so I've always really enjoyed Hopalicious which I didn't expect to
3: but you know with your other podcast the Porn of the Round like you talk to a lot of breweries. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole point of it. <laughs> what, do, what do you, for them, looking at this year and if anybody even feels any kind of confident to look into next year, what do you think breweries are thinking like the next thing coming down, coming down the road is like, where, where does craft beer go from here? Cause I keep seeing all these like emails from pro brewer and other stuff too, like little headlines, you know, where it says like, oh, it's down like this. And then now beer is up 5% and then this is down. Mm-hmm. And then, like with the whole like Budweiser thing, this last week, like companies commenting on on social issues and things like this and that. I, where do you think uh, beer is going next year, or or do you have a any, any like, pulse from local places? Oh my gosh, I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs>
0: um, hmm, it's a great question, though. It, you know, I, everyone has a little bit of a different view, I think, but. I, a lot of the breweries we talk to are like they're they're just kind of trying to f- if they haven't already working on figuring out their like what are they going to be known for there's there's so many craft breweries across the country and and which is great and you know one thing we hear time and time again from breweries is like the more the merrier it's gr- like oh, that's that's great if there's another one around the corner cool but with the amount of craft breweries, I think everyone's just kind of trying to like have their, their, and I I hate to say like niche, just like, what are they going to be known for? Whether it's, you know, fruited sours or whether it's having like the best Hefeweizen that you've ever had, or I think,
2: I think that's legit. I mean, the, the three of us, Ryan and, and, oh no, Ryan, you weren't at the guild conference. Zach, Zach and I and Mina were at the, at the guild conference where we, uh, where we heard the the keynote and you guys are going to have to remind me of that guy's name, Chris Farman. He's our accountant. Oh, all right. <laughs>
1: From Small batch <Dash> standard. <laughs> now,
2: now I know. Um, and yeah, so he was, he was making the case that, you know, a, a distributing brewery, at least the, the way that he's seeing the future is that, and it's already happening to a lot of places. There's really one race horse. And, and for us, it's fantasy factory and he was saying, you know, efforts to distribute much more beyond that and maybe a second like really really off-brand beer kind of kind of futile in a lot of ways. And but it really does come to brand identity and it comes to uniqueness. You know, if if a beer doesn't have that, there's, you know, you're not going to be known for it in the marketplace. You're not going to set the world on fire and on sales unless you're, you know, filling some market need that that wasn't being filled before, but that's rare.
1: Yeah, I think he said that um, he was he was compelling and challenging us to voluntarily limit our distributed prof- portfolio down to two beers. He said, "Just go to two right now. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> Focus on your tap room." Um, he said, "The future of craft beer is is retail. That's your tap room. Um, do all your seasonal work there. Do all your pilot work there. Just distrib- if you're distributing, do two beers." And, and maybe it's one. Um, that was kind of his long game. He called it the long game, his talk about just different metrics and and, and um, trends and ways to, to set up your brewery for success over the next whatever it was, five years or so. Because he was saying that I'm seeing headwinds you know, in the industry, and this is how I think you could hunker down and survive that and focus on beer variety in your tap room and focus on focus in the market. You know, in your broader, um, in your broader sales execution out in the market, how many breweries does Chris work with? Uh, I think it's like forty or fifty. He, he exclusively go. works with breweries, craft breweries. He he was kind of a normal like accountant had had a, a small practice and and general business accountant, and then he decided that he. He wanted to just focus on the craft beer industry and so exclusively works with with craft breweries where he, he helps you do your accounting work, your bookkeeping. He's got a team of accountants around the country that all work virtually together. But then he kind of focuses on being a little bit more of a consultant. And he's been a great resource, you know, to mm-hmm. me, just spitballing ideas with him. And then he gives a lot of talks around the country on… On industry topics and and metrics and things that he aggregates from
2: working with breweries. He sounds kind of like a local Bart Watson, who I've had a, a raging yeah. raging man crush on for years. Uh, <laughs> it's handsome Bart, Bart. handsome Bart,
1: <laughs> handsome Bart's aware that we call him handsome Bart. Yeah, I caught him on the escalator a couple of years
3: ago at the CBC, and I was like, "Hey, handsome Bart!" And he was like, "What?" <laughs> I saw That's I'm fantastic. from K4, and he goes, "Oh yeah, i recognize the name of your brewery or else. So I was like, "Wow." Maybe you're just being polite or not. And I said, I just, regardless, I want to let you know, I'm not stalking you right now, but I want to let you know that in our brewery, we go to the CBC for two things, the show floor and then hear your talk every year. And it's your talk first. And it's
1: and it's, where I go see Handsome Bart talk. <laughs> he great. blushed pretty good about that. He, he <laughs> was good sport. About that. We had an email back and forth several weeks ago, and I called I Handsome Bart again and reminded him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the one crazy,
3: random brewer on a escalator calling him handsome, cornering him in Nashville? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, <my> brother. Brother. <laughs>
2: I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna search it here to see what he said about it. Yeah,
2: while you're while I you're doing bar. that, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to a comment that you made about about craft brewers wanting to be inclusive and and you know the more the merrier kind of thing. The rising tide lifts all all boats. I think that part of of the community is still very much alive and well among the people that do the technical work in the breweries. Mm -hmm. And I think for a number of years now, it is not necessarily been true on the sales side of things. You know, when, when we started adding a sales force at ale asylum, that's when I really got exposed to the world of salespeople being at war with each other. mm
0: -hmm. And,
2: you know, I, I think that's kind of something that's happening, you know, from my perspective behind the scenes, but you know, there's definitely that undercurrent going on in the marketplace.
1: draft systems are like manhattan real estate i mean it's it's very limited relative to to how much people want it and it's expensive to expand you know and and build more on so you can't help but just have more and more kind of deep competition there in the on premise especially when the on-premise draft business goes down, you know, that they're fighting for a smaller and smaller pie.
2: You know, and I think a a, a good compromise and, and a good place to be as a brewer is to say, you know, we all love each other, let them hate each other. You know, they can <laughs> sure. they can fight that battle and we can have fun. I,
1: I think that was part of Chris's point was there's really no winner in that game. Cause if it the more competitive it gets, the more the bigger breweries are gonna win. And and the game that we that's really scalable that can, can continue to kind of democratize craft beer is that tap room game. If you can get people to come to your tap room and try smaller batch things, you're not pushing beer through the market and you're not pushing to try to make margin on it. You're just
2: well, and I, I providing feel like, it. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is, is a factor that isn't necessarily rele- relevant to a brewery of our size. Cause we're kind of in the middle, but you know, when there's a perception that you're big, you're evil. And when you're small, you're punk rock, you know, and we're, we're at the point that we're, I think we're more punk rock than evil, but we're kind of not either. And and the scale that you get to have that credibility is not a scale that's sustainable for what we're trying to do. But that's something, you know, the industry, I feel like keeps reinventing itself in that way where, you know, older breweries get older and bigger and then newer ones come in and people are all about it. Yeah. You know, so that that doesn't require fighting for tap lines, but that's that's a whole different thing than what we're dealing with.
1: I it's hard for me to imagine what the industry looks like in another ten years. I, I, mean, I don't feel like we can put the cat back in the bag, but I also don't think it's sustainable the way it's structured right at the moment.
2: One one thing that I'm confident at saying is that you know every every once in a while, I don't know, let's not put a number on it, like once a decade or whatever, but every once in a while. You know, there's going to be a shakeup where people are sick of the status quo and then people flock to small breweries and it's like craft beer being just reborn constantly. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I have no idea either.
3: What do you think the current status quo is?
2: I think the current status quo is too much marketing, too much sloganeering. You know, I think people are starting to get sick of it. At least I'm starting to get sick of it. You know, everything I feel like I'm being advertised to all the time.
1: It one, well, it's everything's like everything's saving the world. Right. I I know I'm. That's that's something I'm sensing that's driving me crazy is is every, whatever it is, every seasonal, every project, and and it, it's it's probably it's beyond craft beer, but everybody's idea is going to save the world. It's some innovation that's right. revolutionized the world. And it's right. like
2: no, it's I, I got mixed <laughs> feelings about that. You know, I I'm all for good people doing good things, but when it's like every company trying to do all the good things, it's like number one, it's not going to be effective, and number two, it's disingenuous.
1: Yeah, it yeah, it's just a. It's a gimmick. It's just a sales gimmick, and to me, that kind of makes it evil in a way that you're you're playing on this utter benevolence, you know, that you're going to save the world in some little way. It's like, or you could just say, "This is a great beer. Go have a good life." The all the altruism. Yeah, we're all
3: good. So good. I mean, if you know, you can tell we're good because there's a children's piano playing the background music with a xylophone. Right, but that and said, if, if somebody's
2: doing something that's really making a difference, then I'm all for that. I just think mm-hmm. it's kind of few and far between.
3: Yeah, if everybody's special, nobody's special.
1: Yep, just like when everybody wins, nobody wins. That's the last 10 years of craft beer. <laughs> it, it, there needs to be more, I mean, going back to your comment, you know, niche or focus of some kind to, to execute on. And, and if you're going to have a lot of different fun, do that on the proper scale. Do it in your tap room. Because it just kind of doesn't work at scale in the market. Throwing a new beer out or two new beers out a week doesn't – I don't see how that lasts. I don't see how that's good for the industry. Not that I everybody should do whatever the hell they want. I mean, I'm very much like a free market kind of thinker. I just don't think it'll last. I don't I don't think we should do it. You know what? We I'm, aren't doing
2: it. <laughs> I'm really excited about this this idea. And it's something I'm not going to probably experience very often because it's about an hour away. But what, what Wisconsin Brewing is doing with their baseball field out in the they put in, mm-hmm. I think, a, a five barrel brewery, and that's going to just be Kirby's playground. And, and, and Luke as well, Luke, who is now their, their head brewer. He's fantastic. I, I worked with him at Octopi. Um, they're going to have a lot of fun making beer at, at just the right scale for kind of a, a tap room operation. You know, I'm sure a lot of that beer is going to make it back to the brewery too. So they're going to be able to have a lot of cool stuff on tap here in, here in Verona as a as a result of having that brewery out in Economo Walk, So that's that I think is a fun project.
1: Definitely. Lean into retail.
0: You know, in the last handful of years, I think there's been more of a focus on buying local, wanting to people wanting their their foods local, their you know, produce local, things like that. Do you see that translating to the tap room of as opposed to people going to, you know, a woodman's or a, a you know larger distribution location people are coming in for to-go sales to the tap room where they're coming in and trying something and then taking a six-pack to go or whatever um does that kind of like wanting to know where your products come from seem to kind of translate to the tap room you think
1: i would yes it depends on where you're at in
3: the country
0: almost yeah kind of uh-huh.
1: i would say that uh that that's always going to matter to people especially the easier it is to get that local thing, which craft breweries tend to be in, right. in a metro area. It's like, wow, that thing's really close to my house. And they actually make it there. So I think that always helps. But at the moment, everything everybody makes is also going to all the stores to going to Woodman's and Trixie's and et cetera, et cetera, O'Connell's. So they for for the moment they're still just going to the stores as much as they're going to a tap room and maybe more than the tap room because it's all there. But there is so much beer dying in the market, dying on the shelves, warm on the shelves, yep. much to Joe's chagrin. And all of our chagrin, it's bad for the industry because people are drinking old, old, oxidized, warm, broken down beer. More often than not, that's what they're drinking. And and it just doesn't taste as good. And And people may not realize that the beer is not supposed to taste like that. I certainly did didn't 10 years ago. I didn't know. I just thought that's what craft beer was. And I knew it wasn't you know, always my bag. So I would drink cocktails or something else because it was bad beer and I didn't know it.
2: We and, used to, we used to joke at a hill asylum about how oxidized beer was going to be the next big trend because yes. it's, 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 in, it's intense. I mean, it's, you know, you really want to pack a lot of flavor. You're going to oxidize a hoppy beer, but it's also like you can get away. With, you can get away from fossil fuels. I mean, why, why purge with CO2? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
3: That, I think that's called real ale, <laughs> cask ale. You
1: know, we should do that because we kind of missed the boat on the whole hazy thing, and then <laughs> spent all this money and time trying to make our beer more bright, and then right. the hazies came around. So that it's kind of painfully like funny and a real opportunity <laughs> to to sell that flavor. But I, I think that uh, I don't know. It's just hard to believe that 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 trend doesn't play out over time where. The amount of skews and kind of lower quality beer or old beer that's in the market doesn't end up beating us down, you know, as as a total segment and and um and and changing the game of where beer is sold and who's making it, et cetera.
2: And and, Miller Light, it doesn't taste like ass. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. I mean, they're they're gonna be like, well, these are really dependable beers and they taste like we expect them to taste. The macro light beers, and you'll have many still craft beers that breweries that that execute reasonably well and the beers more often good than bad as far as age and freshness and oxidation and all that in the market. And then that'll push maybe some of these more fun experimental beers and small batch beers back to that taproom, and, and maybe that'll push the general public into those tap rooms again to find those things. Cause it'll be just the only place they can get it as opposed to, everybody and their brother are having beer on the shelf somewhere at a store.
2: It, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because my, my mentality as a consumer is very much like going to the store and going out to a bar are two very separate things. You know, I'm, I'm never choosing one over the other. You know, if I, if I'm going to the store, I'm trying to minimize how many times I, I have to do that. So like, I might go on like a Sunday morning and I'll buy all the beer I'm going to think I need for the week. You know, so that's not factoring in my decision to go to a tap room or not. You know, sure. when I'm when I'm going out, is because that's time for going out. So mm-hmm. yeah, if if a, if I I'm unable to get beers that I want anywhere except tap rooms, maybe that will change that that thought process a little bit.
1: I mean, we certainly sell a good amount of beer to go out of the tap room package beer. I wish it was more. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I think it'd be healthier—a healthier signal if it was a little, even more. because yeah, people just, coming here means that they're we're getting their attention to come here.
2: And just using myself as an example, like my my purchases of of retail beer, like to-go beer in a tap room, is just being an opportunist. It's like, oh, I'm already at the tap room because yeah. I want to have a social experience tonight. And oh, cool, they have beer. I'm going to bring some home and like avoid a trip to the store later. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it it'll be interesting. I mean, I think. Other other things are going on. Cannabis is going on. RTDs is is crazy right now. I mean, I all the discussions I've had with with buyers and with wholesalers is just the wild whiplash of seltzers to RTD that's playing out right now um, with all the big national and, interna- and international brands. Um, White Claw and everybody still getting placements. So yeah, sure. why, well, no, White Claw's gotten pushed back a lot by the RTDs. Well, I overall, Seltzer's gotten pushed back. White Claw's still hanging in there. Like, So I think Truly, a lot of the other Seltzers got pushed right away, and now you're kind of back down to White Claw and Truly that have the most space still. And I think of those two, Truly's getting pushed back more than White Claw. But, but in general, they're all losing share. And High Noon and all these other RTDs are coming out tequila and agave based things are having a big moment and and it's kind of silly because <laughs> there's not really any difference you have yeah you seltzers
2: have, became wine coolers and RTDs are already wine coolers yeah they're
1: it's <laughs> it's so ridiculous that like the difference here from an actual product standpoint for the consumer <laughs> it's like is immaterial, right. and, but it's just kind of this marketing play that a vodka soda or whatever seems different than a hard seltzer, even though they're very much not that different. It, it has
2: to be a short game. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can't. I, I can't see this lasting aside from maybe like one or two brand winners like White Claw and the seltzer. Yeah, you'll space. have those winners that yeah. stick around. Like Mike's Hard Lemonade stuck around
1: forever and ever after White after wine coolers and other yeah. things happened years ago. So
2: they stuck around long enough to see seltzers become the same thing and then disappear. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Zima. Zima's back. Um so we're I, I think that that's RTDs are really disruptive this year. And craft beer got Got pared down quite a lot with the with the seltzer run of the past few years, and now there's infighting in that category with RTDs, and that's still kind of pulling back craft beer. And at the same time, some of the macro stuff is up so far year to date, is my understanding. Like your kind of standard Miller Light, you know, stuff is well. It sounds like the only loser has been Bud, and then Bush Light's winning because people don't realize that that's also made by Bud. But Miller is really um, is winning from from the latest antics of Bud. So, you're, you're seeing people go to that. Oh, lighter. just go for it, Joe. Oh, just go.
2: Joe's I didn't want to
1: interrupt. Just open I the mean, beer.
2: Wait. okay. Let's
1: here. We'll just go ahead and reload the unicorn popcorn. So it, it's really, I don't know. I think it's interesting. It's it's never staying the same. That's for sure. Where I, you're seeing people go back to things that they know and trust. Cause their dollar doesn't go as far and, and they've been burned by some of their experiments, you know, in the market, especially if you're not in a tap room getting to try it and then buy it fresh. You know, they, they've been burned by weird beers. They've also had a lot of really great beer experiences. So they're not done sampling different things, but they're leaning on more things that they trust, like lighter beers and um, different pilsners and things that perform better kind of in this broken system of warm storage and then ipas that they they trust more than others they they're going for it they're also going for higher alcohol um single serves but higher alcohol in general because they're they're kind of doing that quick conscious or subconscious math of pennies per alcohol you know like so on the craft side they're willing to pay because they see that higher alcohol but i think if it's a high price point and low alcohol it's kind of a coin flip if you know i
2: am i am i on again yeah. After yeah. that, after the, the <laughs> can topper faux pas of us leaving it on there for half the half the six pack, um, so when I was I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a tangent a little bit here, but oh I kind of I kind of feel like that's the point of this podcast. Um, <laughs> when I was out in in Washington, so I I got hired as the head brewer at a new brewery out there called Narrows Brewing Company in Tacoma. And so I was their, their first brewer. I helped them finish getting the equipment set up and brewed their initial batches and stayed there for almost two years. And one of the things I really wanted to do at that brewery was, was promote session beers because that's just that's how I like to drink. You know, I, I am an alcoholic in the sense that I like to have a beer in my hand. I like to have beer going in my mouth. Um, but the alcohol content, you know, my blood alcohol level is not... It's secondary, you know. I'm not. I'm not drinking to, you know, get inebriated. But I, I like. It's like, like a
3: consequence, se- not a goal.
2: Yeah, it's like a security blanket. It's like I like that having the beer in my hand thing. You know, being at a bar with people, and so I, I wanted to promote that. And my first thought was that people were going to be price sensitive to that. And you know, if I'm putting out something that's three and a half, four percent alcohol, and but I also thought that was an opportunity because. Breweries and 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 tap rooms in in particular tend to be very focused towards like upper middle class demographic. So you know how do you make this affordable to, for working people? Okay, so we got lower alcohol, we got a lower price point, point. and the tap room manager at the brewery right out the gate was like, "That's not going to matter. People don't care as far as the price point goes." And so I brewed the first first low alcohol beer I did out there was a a, a rye bitter. And so it was like a, an English bitter with with some rye in it. And we, I don't remember what we did first. I don't remember if we started with the lower price or started with the regular price, but she was totally right. It, it didn't make a difference at all. Nobody bought it. So yeah, we had this beer on tap that I thought turned out really well, just wasn't selling. And so I think the first thing we did was mess with the price, whether it was go to the normal price pint cost or go down whichever direction it was it didn't make a difference at all the beer just sold like crap um we decided maybe the word bitter was the problem so i we changed the name of it to something else like session rye didn't matter beer just lingered on tap um and so i doubled down because i'm stubborn and <laughs> So I brewed a series of session beers where I was like, you know what? One thing you can't argue with is that people like hoppy beer. This is, this was 2013 in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you go to a bar and it's like 18 IPAs and two other beers. And so I started making a, I, I made a session pale and it turned out well and it sold like crap. And so I doubled down again and I was like, I'm going to bring in a bunch of experimental hops. I'm going to turn this into a whole series. And the only way people are going to taste these hops is to buy these session beers. And so I had this whole series of beers coming through or I'm playing with different hop varieties. And I came up with the best beer name I've ever come up with in my life. I, I called it 4.0 in damage, which is a, a reference to uh, SLC punk. So you got to watch that movie to get the reference, but it was 4% alcohol. And, Nobody bought the beer. I went through like two or three series of these beers coming out with experimental hops. N- they just all sold like crap. And so finally, we, we only had six taps at the time. So I finally brewed like a Vienna lager wort fermented with ale yeast called an amber ale, replaced it on tap, and it sold like crazy. So, you know, there, there's something to be said for people doing that math in terms of what, what kind of value am I getting for my alcohol, but it didn't even matter when you lowered the price point. It's almost like no alcohol. Low alcohol is, is low value. Um, and I feel like the industry's evolved since then, but I don't know if it's come a lot farther than that. So, you know, it it might be time for another experiment. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I kind of feel as a consumer, like with all this, the RTDs and the seltzer, it, it just like... I don't know, man. Like the last three years, I don't feel like hoard out. That's not like the. That's not like the proper approach to it. I, I feel like, like every little avenue of like idea was explored and explored so fast and so thoroughly that it just left no more room for anything that felt real anymore. You know, like there's just so much. So much options, so much thing, like every, with the, yeah, with the vodka and the, like, like anything you could dream up now, like somebody already commercially kind of came up with it. And it just kind of, maybe there's like a subconscious part of me that's like, well, is this it? That we just kind of hit the end of the road? Because there's nothing really left after this, you know, like I don't, there's a little bit of a, little bit of a despair on there from that. But I think that's a part of like what leads into like cannabis next, like. That's actually something that's been around just as long as beer and alcohol and it's a different sometimes it overlaps sometimes it's the same person sometimes it's different person it's a different experience you know so like when we start making cannabis drinks you you put you raise the glass to your mouth and something's gonna happen upstairs you know so in that sense it's can be like the new beer and I think that's maybe that's like where the new place is gonna be but even then I kind of am sad almost for thinking about how much is that gonna just be overexplored and whatever
1: else
2: you're you're lowering lung cancer rates one one can at a time one can at a time right Dude, that's that's yeah. our our do-gooder project mm-hmm.
1: yeah we'll find out that it's like liver cancer or something right
2: though. i feel like you know i mean not you know the the cannabis thing is its own i don't know that's going to be a weird hybrid of something that like people are very passionate about for a reason that's totally different than like the vehicles that are going to be used to deliver it in beverage form you know you're talking just like whatever things we can buy mix quick go you know is, is going to be like that game just like it is with seltzers just like it is with rtds you know what what are you what combination of simple things are you putting together you know combined with do you have the packaging capability to do this specific kind of thing which is a, a limiting factor for for some kinds of drinks but yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to see. You know, where like the passion for like this, this marijuana tradition kind of like clashes with this very like, I don't know, like jump on the bandwagon and make money quick seltzer phenomenon. So yeah, well, I guess we'll see. But you know, I I sort of think of of the whole you know, different breweries making all kinds of beverages in general is kind of like you're playing in a band. You're like a Speed metal band, and you're going out and just raging against the, you know, against the world. And then, you know, on on Tuesday nights, you're playing jazz piano in a hotel lobby because you need to make some more money.
1: <laughs> you're like Ryan Gosling in uh, that movie, right? The, what was the Hollywood movie he was in? He's like the piano player, and he ended up in that like pop band, depressed. Oh, I'm not sure. Before buying the jazz club, what was it? once upon a time oh yeah is that mm-hmm. what it was called All yeah right. I think yeah. yeah once it was a great year. movie I can't yeah. think. Oh, was that Didn't Once it Upon like a Time a in Hollywood
2: yeah is that the one I, no I, not I that was one gonna, okay
3: no, Once Upon oh, a one. Time in Hollywood was the one with Brad Pitt where they do the
1: yeah
2: oh yeah. that's right no 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 yeah yeah alright <laughs> we have, <laughs> we have, some, we have had a computer here. That, to kill yeah, Charlie <laughs> Manson
1: before he kills everyone else Yeah, I had a buddy that was in that movie La La Land La La Land yeah there you go like won a bunch of awards it was a great yeah I you have that, a buddy a, in that movie? You know someone in that movie? Yeah. A guy a kid I grew up with, like my best friend in fourth grade, David Andrew Wallach, is like he turned into this big deal. He cool. he was like a famous it's like tour with Pharrell. Yeah, he got signed by Star Trek and Pharrell and wow. toured he started a band called Chester French while he was in school at Harvard. They got signed by Pharrell and they were being courted by all the labels. And then he he toured and Put out a bunch of albums. He's on MTV, music video stuff. He writes songs for like rappers and stuff. And he's like this pasty white, redheaded, like <laughs> half half Jewish, half you know Catholic kid that I grew up with. This he, he was like we always thought he'd be the president of the United States. Growing up, it was kind of the joke. But but picturing him writing a song for Rick Ross is just <laughs> hilarious because he's got this like redheaded curly hair. Um, brilliant, brilliant guy, and he. Um, I think his buddy is the director of La La Land. Oh, wow. And he, so they, they had a scene in La La Land where there's like a backyard band like rocking out, and he's the band. Him oh, cool. And, him and Max are the band. Oh,
2: that's fantastic.
1: And then since then, he's become this like venture capitalist guy. I think he started this private equity group, some billionaire. He He's invested in SpaceX and huh. knows Elon and – invest in things with that like all just the name dropping would get obnoxious he's like totally in to the i don't know the la hollywood silicon valley scene now it's kind of insane to think wow. interesting grew up with him for a little bit but um anyway i digress i think the point was you have to do what you have to do a little bit right yeah the,
2: <laughs> yeah and and that's always going to make Brewer sad you know and, and there's always a balance you know i feel like we've got a good balance. So it's where I came from before this did not have a good balance.
1: <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you just, you can't be, it, it's tough. Cause we, I think internally we try to, well, we've said it externally a lot too. We try not to be romantic about things. Right. While at the same time, still being like really passionate about high quality beer. I mean, it's this really tough kind of dichotomy that we're balancing of. We want to do what we do really, really well, but we have to always catch ourselves from becoming romantic about anything because we have to make sure that we're always eyes wide open and pivot and make changes we need to make.
2: I mean, I I think that can be a good driver, you know, that can be powerful that can lead to connecting with customers. And it just, it's got to get filtered through the, the, we need to make this financially viable, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's interesting what you're saying
1: about, I don't know what you call it. Cannabis drinks being, um, like comparing it to like a hard seltzer to get it in beverage form versus this long tradition of smoking greens. You I guess, know, I, shouldn't, I, guess I shouldn't
2: like compare that. it to a hard seltzer because it's still illegal to put it in alcohol. Yeah, yeah. but
1: <laughs> Soft seltzers. But it is it is, it is interesting because you have wine coolers, but like the bottle of wine is still the whole industry, yeah. right? And And you have RTDs, but like, buying bottles of spirits are still really the industry and you have, you have hard seltzer, but beer is really still the industry. And I wonder what, I wonder how cannabis will evolve. Um, Cause I, I think getting it into the sleek can really takes away a lot of stigma Yeah, for for people, for people who really would probably be healthier if they switched maybe some of their alcohol habits to that could be good for a lot of people where alcohol really doesn't sit well with them. They've, terrible hangovers and whatever, you know, me. Yeah. Right. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan can't handle much alcohol. And, um, I, I always say to friends, I'm like, well, it, zero calories and no hangover, you know, do you like it now? <laughs> um Yes. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I,
3: what's going to happen with this consumer base though, and all this stuff in t- 2023, 2024, I feel like we gave the world, Well, not the world, like the American Mm -hmm. culture, the beverage industry basically gave all the consumers ADHD,
1: Yeah,
3: you know, and it's like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I was just past SpongeBob SquarePants when I, you know, when I was a, that wasn't a cartoon when I was a kid, there was like, it was He-Man. So it actually had like character development and stories. Versus, like, all this cartoon, cartoon version, Dexter Laboratory, Spudgelob Store. And I remember watching kids growing up, who were just younger than me, and I thought, oh, my God, this whole generation can't hold their attention span because look at the shit they're being fed on just for their cartoons. It's not even storytelling. It's just like,
2: <laughs> it's, yeah,
3: it's not a cartoon.
1: Just, it's a slot machine.
3: It's just, yeah, it's just a slot machine. Lights. And it feels like, as a beverage industry, like, almost got to that point, especially like when the pandemic happened, like everybody was freaking out about like, what's reality? What am I going to do? And then it was like all these experiences and that's all they had to entertain or stimulate their brain was like the next thing, you know, and the whole industry was like, oh, the world's still moving forward because you can get Jack and Coke prepackaged, you know, (laughs) and it's like, what? What's going to happen on the other side? Because
2: you're stuck at home and you don't have time to mix them. <laughs> right, yeah, right, no, right, right. Which is so convenient. It's a huge problem when you a Huge. The problem. I have Coke of the I have Jack. But, but uh, no no fancy COVID? ice. I, I don't
1: have but I wish I had
3: individually wrapped ice. Uh, this would be complete. And if I go
1: buy any, I'm going to die. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. There's the long tail of the economy is playing out ever since Amazon. And where the 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 kind of brilliant and beautiful thing is that individual consumers can really find their own place to exist, you know? They don't feel like we're all weirdos. And and when when the when when the products available were like less democratic, I'll, I don't know if that's going to be the right word or not to use, but when it was more controlled by fewer companies, you just you, you know you either like assimilated or you just were a weirdo. And now everything under the sun is available to you at your fingertips, and so everybody's little strange nuances and and it's like oh you're not a weirdo you're just an individual and you can actually buy things that kind of like support your individuality. I I think it's really beautiful, but on the flip side It's also mental masturbation. Yeah. On the flip side, it's like totally narcissistic and totally yeah, it's like it is cognitively masturbatory. It's like this self fulfilling shallow exercise of consumerism instead of something that's defining yourself through your products. Yeah, Yeah. through your products. It's like this or it's like this. It's like a road off a cliff, kind of thing. Right. Like, oh, this is such a beautiful road. Oh shit! <laughs>
3: it's like I, I never have to tolerate anything that I don't a hundred percent, yeah, want to consume yeah. or be around or whatever. Else. And it's like, it puts that's yourself not the, at the world or the universe. Yeah, yeah that's it's not like the this, world.
1: this. It, so it, like I was saying, I mean, I feel like in some ways, it, I feel so good for people who didn't want to assimilate. But then it's like, oh yeah, but life's not about what you can buy for yourself. And here we are, just participating and giving it to them.
2: But but only maybe like ten percent of our output. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm liking all the fantasy factory and how I'm seeing in the schedule these days. As I look forward to figuring out, figuring out where I need to grow yeast and stuff like that. I'm like, nope, not that week, not that week. <laughs> well, we're just rolling a on the summer train.
1: Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, if if the only thing we had time to make were those two, that'd be okay with us. We'd, we've we've never – that's that part where we don't get too romantic. I mean, we have the Pilot brew House to play. We want to play. I mean, we'd like to play, prefer to play in, in the big brew house more. But if we just didn't have the time to, that'd be okay. That'd be great yeah, to those have are, focus in the market. Those
3: are two beers that were an important part of people's life stories. How, how they relax, how they would do whatever else. And you just keep delivering excellence time and again on that.
2: Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, confuse it with autopilot. I mean, there's something to be said for being passionate about refining and perfecting, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, especially in our brew house, really well. in our brewery. Yeah.
3: yeah. Even though we do a fantasy factory a couple of times a week, I wouldn't call any one of those batches. Like having done an autopilot
1: for I, sure. I, I I just, I told my quick baseball story just before, like, I mean, you sit there and take batting practice. It's not like the ball changes sizes or anything. You, right. But I could sit and do that for the rest of my life, I mean, trying mm-hmm. to do it just right, or hit a golf ball just right, or something. I mean, I I think there's eat a Cuban awesome. sandwich without a napkin.
2: Yeah, yeah. Best of luck. <laughs> totally to while driving. While dri- God.
1: A, a Persian dang it, donut. Joe. Why can't you just <laughs> set the bar at level two? <laughs> Can I eat a Persian donut in my car? <laughs> Without leaving any peanuts in the cracks of my seats.
2: No, that's the 11th commandment. I've never heard of a Persian donut. Pershing. Tell, tell me more. Persian oh, donut? Oh, no. They're, they're, pershing. P-E-R-S-H-I-N-G. Uh, P-E-R-S-H-I-N-G. Still haven't heard of I it. I think
1: the accent's on
2: the eye. Oh. <laughs> 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 <Smell> <laughs> it. I. Oh.
3: Perchon.
1: I surrender. It's, it's, uh, I it's a donut with saying. the, it's got <laughs> white frosting and then the, the chopped up, Peanuts on top. It's my Ooh. favorite. That's Joe, awesome. if you want to learn about it's donuts, you've come donut. to the right, right room. I didn't know they were called that. That per, sounds Persian, Persian, sounds or Persian or whatever. Pershing, ing. Hmm. They're the best. Had no idea. They're they're so yummy. I'm gonna write that down. But you, I dare you to not find peanuts, <laughs> you know, in your car or in your clothes for the next day or two. <laughs> it's like
2: eating a drumstick, I guess. Yeah, like That's the ice like, cream. Drum, it's drumstick. like
3: half half cinnamon swirl.
2: No, no,
1: no.
3: Half cinnabon good. with peanuts and icing and everything. That looks outstanding. That's
1: what's uh, fantastic.
3: That's why we're fat.
1: Quick trip. Oh. <laughs> quick has got a great rendition. <laughs> if you want quick a recommendation for a good donut,
2: time. we've come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Ryan Mulholl is slacking on his donut oh, purchases. I think
1: we need to request Pershings on the next one. These these plain specifically Hy-Vee quick trip purgings.
2: Oh, speaking of quick
3: trip, we'll get that and done. That's a whole nother episode. We should
0: Thanks for listening to the Carbon Four Podcast, an unhinged brewery tour. Visit the tap room here in Madison, Wisconsin. Be sure to mention the K4 podcast to get a BOGO beer deal, or visit Carbon4.com or wiscopopsoda.com. Enter the promo code unhinged to receive ten percent off your purchase. And follow Carbon Four on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send in your questions, comments for the team. Cheers, guys.
3: Thanks for listening.